Welcome back to another episode of EmigCast. I'm Nicholas, and I'll be your host this time around. Today our topic is community paramedicine. It's an emerging role in the pre-hospital care world. To learn more about this topic, I sat down with two folks from Tualatin Valley Fire and Rescue, which provides 911 service to a large community just southwest of Portland. Our guests are Charmaine Captor, medical services officer with paramedic and RN training, as well as Mark Stevens, the division chief for Mobile Integrated Healthcare, or MIH. He also is paramedic trained. So why do we care about this topic? Well, preventative medicine is a big deal, and it's in the patient's best interest to get their needs addressed before things get so bad that they need to call 911 or go to the ER. Additionally, some problems are best addressed in a clinic, such as medication refills or nutrition. The idea is that a community paramedic can help address these issues so that 911 and emergency department resources are utilized for the more critical issues. So can you tell me your specific title and your role within the community paramedic program? Yes, my title is I'm a medical services officer with Tualatin Valley Fire and Rescue, and I help oversee the day-to-day uh, workings of the community paramedic program. I take in all the referrals. Um, I decide if we can accept the referrals based on our scope of practice. I schedule all the first appointments with the um with the clients. I deal with home health providers, uh, case managers, and I also work with the paramedics providing the service to um, just make sure that the patients get everything they need from um, our referrals. And this is Mark Stevens. I'm the division chief for Mobile Integrated Health. And my job is to, as a manager, run the division and provide the logistics, what it takes to run the calls and obtain and administer the contracts, collect data, uh, both for us internally and for uh, our contractors. Uh, patient surveys, those kind of things really help to drive where we want to go. Uh, we take quite a regional role as well uh, as a team. Uh, we work with what's called the Northwest MIHC Community Paramedic Coalition, and that's about 50 agencies that share uh, grassroots effort in efforts of mobile integrated healthcare. And we're very transparent, we share ideas, we're working on protocols and education and those sort of pieces. So that's what I do. Well, thank you both very much for joining us. So I think we're all pretty familiar with the role of a regular paramedic working on an ambulance responding to 911 calls and whatnot. Um, but I think the topic of a community paramedic is new for a, a lot of us. So can you tell us a little bit about what makes that different than a regular paramedic? This is Charmaine um, answering the question, and I think the difference is, um, as we know, uh, a regular paramedic or a paramedic goes out and does emergency work and is uh, with a patient for a short period of time, and they take them to a destination, most likely an emergency department, where a community paramedic is starting to 
reach out more into primary care and spending time with the patient and learning about their social determinants of health and uh, what their barriers are to their health care and digging deep on why it is they have problems achieving the goals that they may have with their health care and help prevent um, emergency department usage, frequent 911 usage, and um, uh, hospital utilization. And so they work more with case managers and primary care providers and whatnot to um, oversee the care and be a part of the team for the, for the patient. So tell me a little bit about what the goals are for the community paramedic. Uh, this is Mark. A uh, good question. Uh, we take the roles that a paramedic normally does to go into the home, but instead of being there 20 minutes and, and head to the ED, uh, we get to spend some time there and, and apply our skills within the healthcare system. We then, with the eyes and ears of the physician in both cases, whether you're going to the ED or spending time there for primary care. So we work to identify barriers in the healthcare. Uh, a third of the time we find medication issues. Uh, there's some very common things that if you just get there and look, that you can fix those barriers, transportation, social determinants, those kind of things. Um, some things may be as easy as you find mold in the respiratory equipment, or you know, complicated as two or three medications of different dosages from three different physicians that you're sorting through with the care provider. But in the big picture, you get to complete the loop. Uh, I like to think of an example of like a STEMI patient. We work on the front end on the EMS side to save seconds in myocardium, and you get through working as a system, and they get discharged home, and the transition to care is poor, just like most other patients. It's a great place for a community paramedic to come back and complete the loop, make sure they get their anticoagulants, their, their cardiac rehab, all the things they need to do to be healthy and stay out of the hospital. So, Charmaine, can you tell me a little bit about what it actually looks like on scene or uh, on a visit with some of these patients? Sure. Um, it's, it all starts with the referral process, and then um, we do get, we dig into some of the patient's medical records and whatnot, and we get discharge summaries, after-visit summaries, medical histories, medication lists, whatnot. The paramedic will study all of that information prior to going to visit the patient. And then when they get there, um, the first goal is to create trust, obviously, so they'll spend some time visiting with the individual and their family and our caregivers. And then um, there's always paperwork that needs to be signed because we have to communicate with other healthcare professionals and whatnot so they have to sign an authorization to let us you know speak with other providers on the behalf of their care and then they would do a physical assessment to include you know basic things like temperature blood pressure uh, spo2 they can do uh, ekg 12 leads they can transmit um, they can do blood glucose, things like that. So they would do a thorough patient assessment, I guess lung sounds, you know, check them all out, make sure everything's going good there. Um, they'll always discuss with a patient if they've recently been in the hospital, why the patient thought they were in the hospital and what was their diagnosis and what they need to do when they get out of the hospital. Um, they will always uh, make sure uh, appointments are made, follow-up appointments with their physicians and whatnot, so they'll have all those kinds of conversations. And then they'll do an environmental assessment and 
during that assessment, they'll make sure the home is safe, um, that they have a fire alarm or a fire department. If they don't, we'll give them one and we'll install it and whatnot. But we'll also look at their um, nutritional needs and the foods that they have in the house. And if it's quite clear that they don't understand uh, their nutritional needs, be it a... Um, uh, a cardiac diet or a diabetic diet, then the paramedic will have conversations with them and reinforce the education that they've received on their diets and whatnot. And then they always also do a medication, we call it medication adherence, um, because, you know, we're not pharmacists, so, but we will make sure that they have all the medicines they're supposed to have, that they're organized, that they understand how to take them and when to take them. And if there's barriers to that, we try to figure out what those problems are. And if we see um, a lot of weaknesses through all these different assessments, um, and if we need to talk to case managers or their primary care providers, the paramedic will actually call them and have a conversation with them. And a lot of times we'll do that right in front of the patient so the patient knows what's going on. Sometimes they're not available, you know, right then and there. And so we try to coordinate care like that. And if it's for 30-day readmissions, we would go visit them usually once a week and just follow up on them um, and make sure that uh, they're staying out of the hospital but um, that they just have all the needs and so I think one of the bigger things too is that the paramedic acts as their advocate during this time and really helps them and their caregivers to uh, transition from home or um, overcome the barriers that they have for whatever their needs are so it's the first visit could be like an hour and a half that the paramedic will be there. Subsequent visits anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. So, um, yeah, they, they spend some time with them and get to know them. So you mentioned the referral process for a patient getting connected with you guys. Uh, how does that work? Well, some of our referrals come internally through our own firefighters that are out there in the field and notice people that, um, you know, need some extra help or they're calling 911 frequently. And so we will engage with those individuals um, within our own service. And then from our contractual agreements, um, usually through case managers that are in the hospitals and they feel that there's a patient who's at risk for readmission. And so then they have a referral process that they would send to us and in other um, projects we're working on to decrease emergency department readmissions for example those are actually coming through case managers through the health plans themselves and so then it's it's pretty simple it just gets faxed to my email and and I either accept it or I don't and, and we move forward. With this program I can imagine how you're kind of in between multiple uh, providers in that you have standing orders from your medical director, uh, but you're also dealing with the patient's primary care provider. So uh, how do you guys uh, navigate that dynamic um, with the patients? It's a very good question, especially early on in this particular uh, world of community paramedicine. Uh, by state law, we work underneath our designated medical director through a 911 agency. Uh, that does not change. Um, and very similar, if we're on the scene of a community paramedic uh, MIH visit, uh, if it comes to a point where our standing orders need some consultation, uh, where on an emergency scene, we would call an online medical resource, which locally is our medical resource hospital. Um, in this case, the 
we're working as much as we can within an established care plan for the patient through their primary care provider. So typically, in this case, we would call back to the case manager, whoever's coordinating their care, and from there try to access if needed. Uh, it could be a pharmacist, could be the PCP, occasionally a PA, but whoever we can get a hold of there. Uh, in some cases, we've uh, needed to do some in-home diuresis, or we'd recommend that. And we actually talked to the nephrologist, talked to a specialist, and did some in-home. Uh, I started an IV and gave some Lasix, and then followed the patient to the hospital and was able to pass on the history. We met the specialist and the ED physician uh, in the ED, which was nice. Uh, the community paramedic, by doing that, avoided the full 911 response. It is called a non-emergency ambulance, and uh, it was a good system savings where one paramedic was able to uh, orchestrate that with the with the care provider on the line. So it sounds like the community paramedic can kind of act like a little bit of a Swiss Army knife on scene there in terms of doing uh, a lot of different skills uh, and working as an extension of uh, maybe hospital-based providers. So, so what does the, the training look like for a community paramedic uh, in order to have this kind of broad expertise? Well, the first thing we do when we pick community paramedics uh, within our agency is we try to find people that have a lot of experience. And um, Steve, who's doing the, the bulk of our work right now, has been in the field for many, many years. And then um, our other paramedics have, all have experience as well. And then um, we've done some... Uh, educational seminars for our paramedics. Some of the things that we've focused on are things like motivational interviewing, um, trauma-based um, care. We've focused a lot more attention on chronic disease management and taking it away from just the emergency setting, but uh, what is chronic disease management for, say, a heart failure patient that has this disease for the rest of their life. And so we've brought in hospitalists to speak to us on those um, areas. We um, have talked with home health and how to interface better with home health and case management. And what other topics have we talked about? Uh, cardiac rehab, rest, uh, pulmonary rehabilitation, uh, durable medical equipment, um, what it is, how it should be used, how it should be taken care of. There's, these are some areas that we have focused on to get our paramedics onto the street uh, with more confidence, but there's actual um, national uh, level courses that uh, or curriculum that you can take, and in this community, there's one at um, OIT, OHSU's paramedic education program has a community paramedic program, uh, which is uh, has didactic as well as clinical rotations with it. PCC also offers the same uh, education program. And then there's an actual, there's a national-based exam now that's a certification exam for community paramedics. And in the future, there's, you know, talks nationally on different levels of community paramedicine. And so it's becoming, it's getting into the academic realm as well for the education. But for us, we've just tried to get the boots on the street. And so we've just focused on some primary care issues and, and trying to get them to think outside of the box from a 911 call that, this isn't an emergency, you're going to be seeing this person for a while, and what are some of the needs that they need? And, oh, another big topic is nutrition. We've had nutritionists come in and talk to us about nutrition-based um, care for chronic disease. 
Well, as always, we love to hear about patient cases. So do you have any patient cases that come to mind when you think about a situation that really embodies the effectiveness of a community paramedic? Well, I have a few. Um, There was... Uh, a bariatric patient that was having a very difficult time getting out of their home to make it to their doctor's appointments and was experiencing tachycardia. And so we went to the home and we did a 12 lead and we transmitted it to the uh, physician's office. They looked at the 12 lead and uh, changed medications of for the patient. Um, we got the medications to the patient and then um, it, it totally avoided that individual having to uh, try and get transport to the physician's office and whatnot and had a very good outcome. Um, we've had a patient that was having a very difficult time at home and just was a failure to thrive but it didn't really qualify for home health or or any of that and we were trying to meet her needs and finally the community paramedic just called the physician and said I don't think this person should be at home anymore and the physician talked to the patient and finally got the patient to agree to go to a skilled nursing facility and there was no transportation and so we called Uber and we Ubered her to the SNF, and the, uh, which uh, the paramedic followed, and the physician um, met the patient there. So that was a, a, a good story. They didn't have to go through the ED and do all that to get the care they needed. Um, we've had a patient that had multiple readmissions for pneumonia, and no one could figure out why it kept returning. And once we got in the home, we found that there was mold all over the home and mold in her CPAP and ants in her CPAP machine. And so we worked on getting that all cleaned up and changed up, and she quit returning to the hospital for pneumonia. And recently, we've had a patient that has a trach, and um, this individual didn't like taking care of the trach in the standard way. You know, you're taught to take care of the trach and she didn't like using her nebulizer and this individual just kept ending up in the emergency room over and over and over again and and so now through the community paramedic getting in the home and finding uh, the barriers we worked together with the PCP and got a respiratory therapist uh, to actually do a home visit and help her with the nebulizer treatments and um, got the the trach changed out to uh, a better trach that meets her needs and she's unfortunately ended up back in the ED, but um, has decreased her ED use considerably from what it was before. So those are just some stories that come to mind. So we've had a lot of classes and training in our medical education about uh, backing up our medicine with statistics and evidence-based medicine and um, really practicing care in a, in a, a overall judicious but um, effective way. So how how do you measure effectiveness of the community paramedic program and what sort of um, what sort of effectiveness are we seeing out of that program? Uh, many of the outcome measurements we're getting are from CMS and the things where hospitals and providers are targeted uh, with low reimbursements like 30-day readmission rates and those sort of things. So um, one of the outcomes we look at is they, they look at patients that they expect to get readmitted. You know, read the Truven scale or you know the previous history, multiple morbidities, those sort of things, and they'll give them to us and say, good luck. And 
what we've been finding with those patients, uh, where typically a heart failure may be 22% or so uh, readmission in 30 days, uh, we frequently will drive that down to anywhere from 12 to 7% or so. Uh, and many systems across the country, even at 16%, you're saving a lot of, of patients uh, from the readmission and the penalties for the hospital. Uh, another thing that's being looked at is the length of stay. Even if you don't curb their total readmission rate very often, dig a little deeper in the ones that are receiving ongoing care or visits to make sure they're they're, they're getting their meds and their appointments and so forth. When they do get admitted, they're there a much shorter time to get regulated and get back out to home. So you get, you know, the downstream effect is you get more beds available, you get more throughput in the hospital, all those pieces, and you start applying some, some economics to it. Uh, on the 911 side, uh, we're also finding when we address these patients, we lower our 911 volume as well. So we can look at some cost avoidance. And so we can send one paramedic specially trained in a car uh, a lot cheaper than we can send a big red truck with three or four people and, and keep those resources available for, you know, the really critical stuff. And you can apply cost to that. It's a lot cheaper on our end to do that and to curb our baby boomer growth of calls and what we need to do to staff up as well. So there's some economics that help to drive it, uh, but it's everything's headed toward value-based reimbursement. Uh, both for transport and non-transport. So that's just one of the big pieces that we look at. And then within those outcomes are all the process indicators of, you know, are they getting their doctor's appointment checked <laughs> or not checked? Uh, cardiac rehab, are they taking their meds? We have actually checklists for many of those things uh, that our industry uses here in Oregon. And then look at the outcome to see how that works and uh, help to drive the system from there. Well, that's awesome hearing about all those uh, success stories with those patients. Um, and I'm also curious, how, how do you guys see the role of the community paramedic changing or developing in the future? Well, the community paramedic's role is to meet the needs of their particular community. So um, depending what that is, but I see that growing and becoming at least better defined across the country because it's so new and it, their uh, basic role will be better defined. And then some things uh, like in-home diuresis, those pieces, as we get point-of-care testing, uh, like an ISTAT type of device, those we can start to provide more care. And if we can provide electrolytes, BUN, creatinine, those kind of things to a physician and, and regulate their, you know, their fluid management at home, those kind of things, we can avoid a lot more trips uh, even to the clinics. There's some uh, high interest from the heart failure clinics for some of those kind of pieces, and especially from the ED physicians that see these patients a lot to try to get their their volume regulated and get them back home, or do you put them in an observation unit for a while and then look at your risk, do you send them back home or not? So I think it's going to get more technical. Uh, there needs to be a lot more technology in uh, telemedicine, you know, get an iPad in front and some work with the physicians. Uh, locally and actually up the West Coast, one of the more progressive pieces that I think the industry will follow is what Kaiser is doing, where they have 24-hour physicians at, at their uh, their center. The physicians got all the medical records there, and community paramedic can get a hold of a physician who has the records and determine, oh, can you 
do a certain treatment for their their condition and then redirect them to someplace other than an ED from the site uh, under direct medical supervision and the same charting system as a PCP and so forth. So I see it coming together more and more uh, as reimbursement issues get ironed out where it can be more reimbursable. Currently, community paramedic services aren't reimbursed, but you transport them to an ED whether they need it or not. There's where your reimbursement is. Uh, so as those pieces get get ironed out, I think it'll help drive the system. And I think the value is going to prove itself out. The data is just starting to be collected nationwide. And uh, just people figure out that we're healthcare providers and not just 911 when you need us, disaster type people. Uh, and in our relationship to the nurses and the PCPs and those pieces come together, uh, I think it'll all become more of a one healthcare system, hopefully, for the benefit of the patient uh, and lower cost at the same time. Yeah, I'm sure as uh, technology becomes more ubiquitous, it's really going to make things a lot easier on 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 both ends. Um, so, in closing here, last question for you. Uh, do you have anything else that you would like to add uh, for emergency medicine-bound medical students um, about this topic? Well, when you go ride with EMS, try and go ride with a community paramedic and see what they do. We've done that with some of the, the with some of the um, emergency residents, and they enjoyed their time. But you know, I think the important thing about community paramedicine is that the paramedics are getting into people's homes and they're helping figure out what their barriers are, and they're working with other healthcare professionals within the system to you know fix. Not, well, maybe not fix, but work together to try and overcome the barriers to people's health care. And another really great thing is the patients love having the paramedics come into their homes. Uh, all of our patient satisfaction is is wonderful, and they have nothing but great things to say. So it, it's kind of built more trust within the community and um, everyone working together. I just It's all about getting in the home and helping the patient out. Well, thank you very much uh, to both of you for, for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time and, and educating us on, on this role. Well, that's it for this episode of EdmigCast. I hope you learned something new about how community paramedics work within our communities. Thanks for tuning in.